You're listening to Pacific Post-Ups, an NBA podcast covering all things Pacific Division basketball, with your hosts, Lewis Dade and Nick Boylan. Welcome in to this post-draft edition of Pacific Post-Ups. Nick, what a day. Yeah, the, uh, it's always an exciting time uh, during the draft. Um, you know, looking at the whether you're looking at the picks on uh, on the TV um, or you're following Woj and Shams dropping them before even sometimes the teams it seems that they know who they're picking. Uh, but yeah, it's a really exciting time, obviously, with the you know a lot of young men's uh, lives being changed. Uh, you know, quite astronomically. Um, you know, with some of them having a, a fair idea of where they're going and then some of them uh, not too much at all. Um, so it's been an interesting time. I mean, all, all the Pacific uh, teams were, were heavily involved in, in, in one way or another and had some interesting acquisitions. But uh, Lou, I think we, we have to talk about uh, something that happened before the draft or really while the draft was going on while it got finalised. And that is that Russell Westbrook is now a Los Angeles Laker. Yes. Uh, Look, it's been rumoured considerably over the last couple of weeks. And unlike some of the stuff surrounding, you know, say Chris Paul, it was always somewhat possible given on that contract, we knew the Wizards were never going to be asking for a ton for us. Um, Look, first reactions, and we've got so much to unpack here, is I don't really like it. Look, there's some iterations of this, I think, that could work. If AD is willing to suck it up and play at the five, then, and basically Russ is the only non-shooter on the court, if AD is going to shoot the three well and LeBron's going to shoot the three well, then I like it. But kind of every other version of this I don't like. Um, that being said, the Lakers will certainly get several guys on the minimum, um, but I think will be better than the average minimum player, which will help. And Russ is going to be awesome for them in the regular season when LeBron and, and AD need plenty of rest. But... Yeah, I didn't like it, Nick. What about you? I hated it, uh, <laughs> to be honest, Lou. Uh, like, I didn't like it in a vacuum, and I didn't like it when another deal was getting rumored to happen. That deal obviously involving Buddy Heald going to the Lakers, a deal that uh, I even brought up on a Tropical Trade segment as a, someone who would be a really ideal fit um, in the Lakers, you know, you, you went at great lengths to talk about Rob Palinka's failures to get enough snipers on this Lakers roster. And not only has he failed to bring one in in Westbrook, but he's also given a couple of shooters away. So it's, I understand that you can get shooters on the minimum that, but, and like on, you know, cheaper contracts and whatnot, but it's fit wise. I feel like you're almost Westbrook is a good fit with, an Anthony Davis injury, you know, injured player coming back, and you not know what he looks like. He, Russell Westbrook's Russell Westbrook looks good in a Lakers uniform if LeBron's taking more rest next season, um, you know, as he's getting older. But at the end of the day, I mean, you're making signings and trades for when to to win a championship, and when a championship's on the line, the idea of Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James sharing the same basketball floor and the same basketball in in general i don't like it at all yeah i mean 
Look, you are, you are substantially uh, less diplomatic than me about going about that response, and that was probably the right way to do it um, because it is just so difficult to picture this core leading to another championship for the Lakers. Um, and and you mentioned Buddy Hield. Look, there's been some swirlings since that there's potential that there could still be some sort of Buddy Hield for Taylor Horton Tucker um, and or Alex Caruso sign and trade match. I mean, it, it very much seems like that's now unlikely to happen. Um, and even if it does, that would then you know cause another set of issues for the Lakers cap wise. But it's just this move feels desperate, which I find a little unusual because I didn't think the Lakers needed to panic too much here. They maintained coming out of the season that the reason they couldn't get as far as what they could was because of health. And I think we're all willing to pay them that credit. Um, and I felt like trading for a, a, an athletic point guard with declining athleticism and a declining jump shot that was bad to start with was just not the right move for this team. Yeah, it's... It just, it just doesn't. It, it feels like it's a uh, quite similar to. I, I, I'm going to make a reference to one of the other sports I follow, which is um, the English Premier League and Manchester United, particularly in the past, how they'd make signings to sell shirts. This is a jersey selling move. Russell Westbrook, you know, getting Brody out there on the floor with LeBron, it's something that he's going to love. It, 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 you know, it's got that name attachment value. And, you know, you're looking at the resumes and the CVs of both players. Russell Westbrook obviously has one, a, a glittering resume of an NBA player. And Buddy Heald doesn't have much going on in his resume. But when you're looking at purely the basketball skills and the and the fit for what both players are going to provide, Heald, at the end of a game in, 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 in the finals, imagine, you know, LeBron's having that weapon on the perimeter. You know, he's double teamed and he's... You know, got LeBron. He's got AD floating around in the post. He's got an option to get it to there, and he's got you know one of the better three-point shooters going around, and someone who can really thrive without the ball in his hand, and really get hot when he needs to. Like Heald has these games where he can just turn into a flamethrower for a quarter or two, and he can't be stopped. That's a weapon I think that LeBron would prefer to have on the roster. But at the end of the day, um. You know, he's going to have to deal with Westbrook. And as you said, someone who's had a pretty okay time in, in Washington, I think, um, certainly compared to how that season started out and the, the late run the Wizards made, um, you know, sort of towards the back end of the season, I think was good. And they played some good basketball. But I just don't get it. And Luke, honestly, can you um, can you remember LeBron playing with a more ball-dominant point guard in his entire career? No. Because you're like um, you're looking at like so like if we're going almost like down the list, where you're looking at you've got you know guys like Mo Williams, Mario Chalmers, those other guys probably in in Cleveland. I'm going to forget. Uh, pretty sure Eric Snow was there at one stage. Uh, Delonte West. Jeez, uh, you're, you're really dusting it off now. Yeah, like uh, then you're going yeah into Miami. Chalmers was the main guy really there at, at point guard that during that time uh, mm-hmm. and then you're going back to Cleveland Kyrie obviously and then even like the backups you got getting guys like you know like George Hill the back end of Darren Williams career in the finals Ooh, and let's then not, let's not talk about that yeah <laughs> and then and then even at the Lakers you know you, KCP was playing some point guard Caruso Rondo it's these 
no one, none of those guys on that list dominate the ball like Russell Westbrook. It just, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't get the fit here as far as in, in Anthony Davis and LeBron James, you have tremendous rim pressure. Uh, you have a, a really good high level ball handler um, and plenty of playmaking. Those are probably the three things that Russ can still do with confidence and rebounding, something that both of those two do well as well. So you've just kind of gone and added a whole bunch of strengths that you don't really need. And now you've given a glaring weakness in your offense for defenses to exploit, something that LeBron himself did when Westbrook was in Houston. Defenses to exploit in the playoffs. And as we've seen time and time again, particularly in the last 10 years, if you give a defense or an offense something that they can just flat out exploit in the playoffs, you are asking for trouble. And there is more than enough quality teams in the Western Conference that unless there are some roster moves that I can't see coming here yet, they're going to be able to take advantage and topple this Lakers team if this is the combination they're taking out there. Yeah. And you talk about like defenders and how this team's going to look now. You look at like what's going out the door. I mean, obviously, Kuzma and Trez were the two players who were going to get included that looked like in that Buddy Heel deal. But they were going to hold on to Contavious Caldwell-Pope. And I know this is probably not something that people are going to get too up in arms about. And obviously, he's had a pretty up and down time um, in a Lakers uniform. But I still think he's one of the more important players, particularly, you know, someone who's, you know, wasn't like a terrible deal. And keeping him along for the ride, I think, was, you know, you've got someone there who can defend streaky three-point shooter, but is someone who's pretty sort of plug-and-play next to LeBron. They've gutted a lot of their roster, and I'm very, as you said, I'm very intrigued to see who's even out on the floor, um, you know, with the rest of these guys, regardless of, you know, who's going to be playing at at shooting guard. And it's, you know, at the moment, it's what could almost be looking like Westbrook, THT, LeBron, AD, and Andre Drummond. Yuck. Like, that's disgusting spacing. <laughs> that's not a basketball game I want to watch. I don't care how many jerseys they might sell with Westbrook on the back. doesn't matter because no one's going to be watching that Lakers team play basketball. That's going to be gross to watch. So, I don't know. It's it's a bit hard. I mean, obviously, yeah, losing KCP is, is, is a tricky one. Uh, Kuzma was always on the out. I think that we, we talked about it at, at length. He needed a scene change. The Lakers and LeBron wanted him gone. And then Trez, obviously, is someone who just doesn't provide enough impact in the postseason to warrant keeping him around. So you're kind of okay with that. But if you're going to lose Kuzma and, and Trez for healed, and then you're still able to hold on to KCP, I reckon that's a much better move, um, not only with the player that you're bringing in, but also who you're able to retain. Well, and there's one more element to this, is that throwing into this deal, the Lakers threw in the 22nd pick. Yeah. This draft, there were all sorts of crazy. It was chaos from pick four onwards. There were so many perceivably valuable role players that the Lakers could have picked up at 22 that would have been relatively inexpensive. Um, and, uh, I mean, the fact, that, the fact that the Wizards got a pick to get off of Westbrook's contract at this point. Mm. Like, I mean, we're not going to linger on the Wizards side of this too much. Um, so I suspect Montrezl Harrell will have a will have a huge year in, in a, with a ton of spacing around him in Washington. Um, we will hear, we will hear far less about Kyle Kuzma now. He's no longer a Laker. But 
it's just like, I, 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 look, we all know I'm not the biggest Rob Palenka fan, but just the incompetence continuously over and over again, in spite of LeBron and Anthony Davis's brilliance, is what frustrates me here. Yeah, it's you've got to, you've got dwindling years of arguably the greatest player to walk onto a basketball court, and the way that you're doing it is really weird. And but but also by the same token as well. How much is LeBron involved in this move? Um, that's the one I'm interested about. Is if, if he really wants Westbrook, I, I could tell that he is a player that he'd want to play with because he is that guy um, in terms of the mentality that LeBron loves to play with. But I'd be very interested to see how much he signed off on this move. I mean, you, you'd have to imagine he does. But that's why I'm, I think, a little bit weird that LeBron's, you know, potentially got word of two trades they want to do. And Rob Polink has gone to say, you know, hey, LeBron, which do you like? Do you want to get Buddy Heald um, and get rid of Trez and Kyle? Or do you want to get rid of KCP, Kyle and Trez and a draft pick to get Russell Westbrook in? And that's when I'm like, I'm not one to put too much, uh, I guess, query on what LeBron James is thinking, but I'm... I, that, that is a, a questionable decision potentially um, from from LeBron from LeBron James. Even more questionable than uh, including uh, characters from A Clockwork Orange in the new Space Jam film. Um, we're, we're, it's going to be a long off season. I, I'm going to leave that Space Jam comment um, for when we really start to run out of content. Um, <laughs> we, we do a film breakdown of, of LeBron's performance. But the only thing that I can think here, and it still doesn't justify the move. But if for some reason that there was an issue with Heald, or maybe we don't know, the Kings might have got cold feet or something like that. Yeah. We have to assume that, that the trade value for Kyle Kuzma, who's, I guess, the closest thing to an asset in this deal, nothing wrong with Harold, nothing wrong with KCP, but I wouldn't call them assets. I'd say they're on, on fairly mutual value contracts. Yeah. The value for Kuzma must have just been completely gone because we know they've been exploring trade options for him for on and off for two years now. And the fact that they went this path, I mean, hell, they the Suns got Chris Paul for essentially Ubre and a first round pick last year. I mean, they that probably tells me the Lakers probably could have got Chris Paul for Kuz and a first round pick last year. I just this is this feels like a mistake to me. I mean, hell, Minnesota were giving away Ricky Rubio earlier in the day. I probably would have preferred him in a smaller move for one of these three guys and, and keep some of your assets than, than going all in on Russ. He has a $47 million player option next year. And it's only going to get worse from here. And this doesn't look, there's going to be a night in the regular season, probably pretty early on where Russell Westbrook does Russell Westbrook things. And you're going to have all of the hot take artists out there talking about how it's the new big three. But I guarantee you when we get to the pointy end of the season next year, we're going to be sitting here, me and you, at some point having a conversation about how the spacing and the issues that Russell Westbrook faces in the postseason are killing the Lakers. I'm so sure of it. Yeah, I, I think that conversation is inevitable. Um, I have to agree, mate. It is it is ridiculous. Um, you talk about Kuzma's value. Obviously, it's yeah, it's clearly as low as it's been uh, in, in quite some time. So, um you know, for him, for him, I hope he does. You know, find something in Washington where he's a part of a an intriguing uh, team. You know, whether you know, sort of on the floor with you know a combination of Bradley Beal, Rui Hachimura, Thomas Bryant is back, Denny Avdia when he's back. Washington, it's going to be an interesting team, but hopefully he can find something in a bit 
you know, more of a more of a role where he can, you know, do Kyle Kuzma things. Um, it's going to be weird seeing him in a Wizards uniform and just in Washington. Um, certainly not the the brighter lights um, than he would have been used to, um, and, and probably uh, revels in a little bit. But yeah, we'll, we'll see how he goes. But yeah, this this is a move that uh, as soon as we saw it, I knew that we both weren't really going to like, um, particularly how much we talked about spacing on the Lakers. And particularly how much we talked about, hey, getting Buddy Heald on there would be pretty good. Yeah, and as you said, I would have probably taken Ricky Ruby on this team as well. Like a low-key move, someone who, you know, who's been around um, the traps a little bit, just like Westbrook, but also just doesn't need to dominate the ball as much and also as a better defender. So, yeah, it's um, it's interesting. Um, but, I don't know, it's, we, we could sit here and unpack the Lakers uh, all day, but... It is draft day, Lou, and quite uh, a few players actually staying, uh, you know, with with the teams, um, you know, who who kept those picks. Um, starting uh, with with Golden State, who had some uh, who had some interesting choices to make. Yeah, look, it, Nick, this was such a pivotal day in the future of your Golden State Warriors. Um, I've got my own opinions on it, um, but. I want to hear it from you first. What was your first uh, first impressions? They kept both their picks and used them both. What what did you think? Yeah, obviously um, things. Uh, obviously, the, the Dubs were looking to obviously make a trade. You know, they they made uh, no no secret of that um, that they wanted to get you know a, a star uh, level player uh, next to Steph, Clay, and Dre. So whatever combination that looks like um, in terms of a package and also um, particularly started to look a lot like Bradley Beal was that guy that they were very, very keen on, uh, according to a number of reports. Um, As soon as Westbrook got traded, then really that sort of, that chance probably called a little bit because Bradley Beal's now got a chance to sort of be the guy in Washington. Um, And he was pretty happy to stand pat. So, well, they, it certainly seemed like you know, Woj tweeted out that you know they were sort of still looking around um, potentially trading that seventh pick. With that seventh pick, they did draft Jonathan Kaminga, who potentially people uh, you know were a little bit surprised to see him there. Obviously, the top of the draft, first three picks uh, went um, just as we thought: Kay Cunningham to the Pistons, Jalen Green to the Rockets, and uh, Evan Mobley to the Cavs. And then uh, where things got interesting was Toronto drafting Scotty Barnes, which a lot of people. You know, certainly the reports were coming out there, but, you know, a lot of people thought Jalen Suggs was the consensus, you know, third or fourth best player in the draft. So him not going there, changed things around a little bit. The Magic took him, would have been happy to see him slide to seven to Golden State, which would have been nice. And then our man, Josh Giddy, getting to the OKC Thunder. Um, Huge shout out to Josh. I think we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about him considering uh, OKC. Oklahoma City is not part of our Pacific Division, but as uh, Australians, um, we do need to mention um, how exciting it is for this young, talented uh, point guard to get drafted, particularly going pick six. Um, it's really, really exciting. So um, I, I personally, I like the fit with him in SGA, and I'm keen to see how he goes. Um, would have liked him at Golden State convincingly. I think you convinced me a little bit more to um, into um, hit the fit there. Um, particularly a pick seven, and um, but yeah, so they went went with Kaminga, who's an interesting player. Um, obviously, he spent time at the G G League Ignite team. Uh, someone who's a you know is a six eight forward. He's got a super super high ceiling as a player, potentially one of the highest ceilings in the draft. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of question marks on him. Um, you know, he's a bit of a ball stopper. 
He's a bit raw, but he's super athletic. Uh, got the skills on the defensive end in terms of uh, you know his wingspan and his um, his his frame, but has looked disengaged on that end of the of the ball, which is something that you know yeah, Draymond simply won't let him do. Um, and the shooting's a little bit, eh, you know, twenty four point six percent on three, sixty two point five percent on free throws. You know, gets it, get it, gets a bit of tunnel vision at times, but. You know, Draymond was texting the front office through the draft, they said, and uh, he was the guy he wanted. So you got to trust your stars. And Kaminga looks like an interesting fit in Golden State, Luke. Yeah, um, lots to unpack there. Uh, I guess first point of reference, like you said, shout out to our guy, Josh Giddy. Um, for those uh, listening in America, he uh, he grew up where Nick lives and he played his uh, professional basketball where I live. So he's... he's Went to my high school player. too. So There you go. Um, it, he's the perfect Pacific post-ups love child um so good luck to him in a uh, in okc um the the kaminga pick was interesting I, i'm i'm quite high on kaminga but i don't love him in golden state in a sense um look if if the warriors are looking to do the spurs thing where you bridge the gap from from generational superstar to generational superstar then if they thread the needle perfectly here this could be a fantastic pick um, I just think we're probably at a point in the NBA where having 15, 20-year dynasties is going to just become less and less likely. Um, because the draft was so, I guess, unpredictable once Barnes went four and then Giddy subsequently went at six, I think it might have thrown the Warriors off a little bit. I mean, the way Woj phrased his tweet made it, it, made it sound like the Warriors were very shocked to have the chance to take Kaminga at seven. Um, I would have maybe liked to see them go for Franz Wagner, um, who apparently has grown a couple of inches and is almost 6'11 now. Um, but I don't hate the Kaminga pick. And when you pair that with the Moses Moody pick, I guarantee you that at least one of those two blokes is going to be a really high-level wing defender. Um, and what that also frees them up to do, potentially, if one of these guys can contribute as a, as a 3 and D guy, from the get-go and you get two bites at the cherry by picking these two guys and that might free them up to move Wigan's salary a bit more. Um, could you pair that with someone like Wiseman as well? Um, and then all of a sudden you could use that to get another kind of veteran. Um, so that way you don't have to worry about picking a, a ready-to-go kind of player. Like there was a lot of conversations about them going for someone like maybe even reaching for someone like Duarte or, or Kispert um, who might be a little bit more ready. So I think this gives Golden State a couple of bites of the cherry. Um, and if the Kaminga pick pays off, the upside there is huge. So I, yep. I like this a little bit more than I liked their draft last year, I think. Yeah, no, I definitely am a lot more happy with this draft. I think the other thing with Kaminga as well is just that because he's one of the highest ceiling players in the NBA, uh, in, in this NBA draft, sorry, um, it gives you a, a bit more of an asset um, to move, potentially, say, if. Bradley Beal maybe doesn't like the situation as much in Washington. Doesn't like being there. Um, you know, gets to the deadline. He's like, you know what? I've had a crack at this, you know, with a, a younger team uh, being the guy. It's not for me. I want out. And Kaminga sort of gives uh, the Warriors someone who, you know, Washington might like have a look at. Um, don't probably love the fit with him, Kuzma, Hachimura, and Avdia. There's a lot of wings and a lot of tall guys. But, you know, you want someone who's 
going to have a high ceiling and he's going to, you know, be a bit of a bit more of an asset at the trade table. So from that point of view, I, I, I like it. Uh, I would have liked Wagner as well. Uh, James Booknight was probably the other guy who I thought that they might have gone with uh, someone who's a really sort of score first guard. I kind of like the, the fit of him um, off the bench next to, next to the, the good old pool party. But um, it, yeah, it is interesting. I'm really keen to sort of see how Kaminga goes and what sort of role he plays. Particularly, you know, Clay's not going to be ready to go opening night. So how many minutes that he gets, um, particularly in the early season with Clay is sitting out um, for that early, um, early little bit, um, depending on when he's ready to go. And yeah, I think he's got all the tools. Um, it's just how quickly that he's able to use them. Um, and yeah, that's the whole the whole bridging the gap thing. You're 100 percent right. It's just whether that wanted to go someone who's a bit more ready to go, like a you know Davion Mitchell, uh, Wagner might have been a bit more ready to go. Uh, Book Knight as well, I mentioned. So yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting transition. And then yeah, with the second pick, I love Mo- the Moses Moody pick. This is a guy who I really wanted to the Golden State Warriors to get um, potentially even at seven. Um, you know, there was some mock drafts suggesting that Moody was um, you know highly sought after by some teams around that mark and having him fall to that um, second pick for the Warriors at 14 is a, is a massive boom. So um, getting someone like him in who's, you know, six, six um, average almost 17 points per game, almost 36% from three, 81% from the stripe. He's got a seven foot one wingspan shoot. You can defend. He's 19 and he's just, he's pretty ready to go. Um, someone who, um, yeah, I think slides into the Warriors rotation quite seamlessly. Yeah, uh, like if I was to if I was to give the um, Kaminga pick a, a B or a B plus, I'd be giving this an A or an A plus. I, I'm completely with you on this one. Um, versatile, long defender type, shot the three um, well enough at, at Arkansas that makes you go, okay, well, there's something there. Um, I don't think he's going to be a 40% guy straight out the gates, but don't underestimate how playing next to Steph and Dre and Clay when they're back will mean that his looks will be more open than he's experienced in his, uh, in his young career. Um, I think this, this was a fantastic pick. Uh, and he's going to be a guy that's at least a competent defender. Obviously we know rookies always struggle a little bit to get used to the speed of the league, but he'll pick it up just about as quick as anyone in this draft. Um, I have a, I have high faith. Uh, and what I also, I guess, like about this pick is, is it means we'll get a bit more of a look still at Jordan Poole and at Nico Mannion because they didn't go for another ball handling type, I guess you'd say. Um, so we'll get another look at that backcourt probably off the bench. It also gives Steve Kerr a, a ton of versatility. He's now got a bunch of 3 and D guys to go with his multiple ball handlers. He's got enough bigs in the rotation. I'm sure they'll pick up probably one more backup big somewhere um, for a fairly cheap contract, but... Yeah, I think this gives Steve Kerr a lot more versatility that he hasn't had for the last couple of years. Yeah, he's he's very much like a, a plug and play guy that we're probably looking for, you know, sort of on the free agency market. Someone who's yeah, you'd be able to come in, defend, shoot, gives you just that, yeah, just an, an extra option and someone who's a pretty solid defender because that second unit is not the best defensively. That's something an area where they really fell down. There's got some good scorers on that bench in terms of, you know, Jordan Poole, Eric Pascal, and uh, Damian Lee. We're going to, you know, shoot and score um, in a variety of levels uh, depending on all three players. But yeah, the defensive ability of that bench unit was something that was a little bit lacking. So yeah, Moody, Moody's uh, acumen at that end of the floor, I think is someone who, yeah, that's something that's really going to immediately boost uh, the Warriors rotation. And, you know, yeah, as you said, depending on how much he comes on as a shooter, you know, could be someone who plays, you know, some pretty significant minutes coming into the season uh but we'll 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 have to see 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see now with these two draft picks today. I, I, it seems even less likely now that they will uh, retain Kelly Oubre. Mm. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what they can do there uh, with the various machinations for potentially a sign and trade um, to to retain some asset there. Assets there, we know the Warriors have been willing to to spend deep into the tax. So, uh, speaking of, uh, I, I guess having uh, how many too, having too many players of a positional need, um, I would like to touch on the Kings now because they were one of several teams today, and the, and the Hornets were also another one um, in the lottery that took a guard when I didn't expect them to take a guard based off of their current depth. Um, I've been very pro Davion Mitchell, but I really don't like this fit in Sacramento unless there's a trade I don't understand that's coming. I feel like there has to be a trade that's coming. Um, the thing that concerns me still a little bit with if it's a healed trade is I would – I would be interested then into what sort of starting lineup they're going with. I mean, probably means that Davion Mitchell is a bench guy, realistically. Halliburton's definitely starting. I think we've established that. And you're a little small in the backcourt with Fox and Mitchell, if if that's your uh, if that's your starting backcourt. And obviously Halliburton defending threes isn't always ideal. Um, what do you make of that pick for the Kings? Yeah, I think um, it's another situation where probably the the front end of the draft threw them off a little bit. I think they would have really liked Franz Wagner. Um, I think he would have been a really good fit in Sacramento. Uh, Mitchell's someone who I certainly got a little bit of affinity with, um, you know, sort of through the draft season. Um, he's someone who I think a lot of teams and a lot of fans would really get around just simply of how hard he plays on the defensive end. Um, you know, had a pretty good time of things uh, for Oregon. So, but again, as you said, he's pretty undersized um, at, at his position. He plays bigger than he is, but you know he still he still is that size. You know we talked about how you know Jay Crowder always plays bigger than he is, but you know Suns would have liked someone with a, with a few extra inches uh, of height in their front court um, come finals time as well. So it's it is an interesting fit, as you said. You know they've got a, an absolute wealth of guards: Fox, Halliburton, if he'll staying. Uh, you got you know what, what's going on with Ter- if Terrence Davis is hanging around, along right. This. They got a lot of decisions to make in sort of their guards, and they were sort of crying out for a forward or a wing um, who could have slotted in there. But you know, a lot of those guys they might have liked, like a Kaminga or a Wagner, were gone. So you sort of look at who went after that um, in terms of you know Isaiah Williams, James Booknight, Spurs going very Spursy with Josh Primo at twelve. Um, a lot of the guys, you know, sort of afterwards, you know, maybe you're looking at. Jalen Johnson, um, you know, he, he managed to get to 20 in Atlanta, which is a really good signing for them. Um, I'm not I'm not enough of a drafted expert to know exactly who the, the best pick would have been to go out there. I mean, maybe the, the Turkish big bloke, uh, Alperen Sengun, I think maybe could have been an okay fit, um, depending on what's going on with Marvin Bagley. So it is an interesting fit, you know, I mean, with a very stacked guard rotation, and you're sort of not sure how this is going to look, you know, a, a, are they going to go super small and roll out Fox, Mitchell, and Halliburton as like your one through three? Um, that would be quite interesting. Um, he's a player I really like, Mitchell, um, with you know some promising shot making ability, and as I said, he's a stud on the defensive end. Uh, but yeah, the fit for Sacramento, don't love it. Yeah, you, funny enough, you, you ended up working your way to the guy I wanted them to take, and that was um, Alper and Chengun. Um, I really like the idea of a an offensively talented center um, playing alongside Fox, particularly someone that can shoot, um, I think would be ideal for, uh, for De'Aaron Fox. Um, 
And with rumours swirling that Rashawn Holmes, who I love, wants somewhere in the vicinity of four years, 80 million, I think the Kings have to prepare for what their big man rotation uh, might look like if they don't want to swallow that yeah. pill because that's a lot. Um, and Marvin Bagley's is soon to be gone now as well. So I did like the idea of them taking a big look. Kai Jones would have been probably too much of a stretch. Um, and maybe maybe the Kings have just had too much of a mouthful of some some wasted European picks, but um, I would have liked to see them go Shangoon. Nothing to, no issue with Mitchell there. Um, I was just shocked to see that pick because I, I can't quite figure it out positionally. Um, I think there's another move to come in Sacramento and it might not just be healed. There, there might be a couple of moves here. I mean, the first thing I thought was, is there some, is there some De'Aaron Fox for Ben Simmons trade that's coming down the pipeline? Mm. Um, and then all of a sudden that pick makes a ton of sense. But um, yeah, I, I really like uh, like Davion Mitchell. Um, and I think he's the kind of guy that Fox and Halliburton will like playing alongside because he's going to be in the trenches with those two. And, and both of those two have got a lot of swagger to him. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes um, in Sacramento. Moving over to our, our reigning runners-up, the Phoenix Suns. Um, they they made a move that uh, I don't really know how I feel about it. It was probably probably a fairly neutral move, but that was moving Javon Carter and the 29th pick, which the Brooklyn Nets used to take Dayron Sharp um, for Landry Shamit, who seems to get moved almost uh, almost every draft night. What do you make of that one, Nick? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, obviously, they lose uh, a bulldog of a guard uh, in Javon Carter, someone who's as tough as it gets on the defensive end. Um, doesn't have you know the same kind of a acumen probably on the offensive end of of things, but I still think he's a you know he's a pretty handy sort of third string point guard, and particularly given you don't know what's going to be happening with the campaign. Uh, and if he's coming back or not, whether they wanted to go with Carter as a backup point guard or they're potentially going to look at a more veteran option um, in that spot. But Shamit coming in the door, I think, is, um, you know, it's, it's it's a pretty good signing. You know, we talked about, um, you know, some of the wings who are going to be uh, hitting uh, free agency um, this summer um, in terms of, you know, guys like Etuan Moore, uh, Tory Craig, Abdul Nader. There's a lot of their wing depth. And bringing in a guy like Shamit, you know, is a career 39.7% shooter from deep um had an interesting time of things as you said Louise. he's moved around a lot and hasn't got settled in a role anywhere um did look okay in spots in brooklyn um you know someone who i I like the fit there um um you know always having shooters around kd and harden and irving's you know uh, a good move but yeah him coming into things in, in phoenix you know um having an extra shooter someone who's you know makes a living off uh that particular skill set, um, I, I think, ended up being a pretty okay move for Phoenix. Yeah, um, the Landry Shamit one's interesting because I loved Landry Shamit in Philly. I loved him in LA. I got a little suspicious when he then got traded to Brooklyn, and then uh, Brooklyn seemed pretty happy to move on for him. So I always wonder with a guy like that, is it just chance? Or is, there, is he just one of those guys where you like him a lot more when you're looking at him potentially on your team, but then when he's actually on your team, there's just something missing where there, whether it's the defensive side of the ball. I know he can be a little streaky for a guy that shoots the ball really well. Um, it's funny, I would have actually really liked Daron Sharp in Phoenix. Um, you know, we talked about their need for a backup big and, and now we're not really sure where Jalen Smith stands, um, although another rookie big might not have been their idea of an ideal player given um, 
what happened in the playoffs and we saw what happened with with Jalen Smith as well. So the other thing not to underestimate with Phoenix is this deal saved them $2 million, mm. um, which is not an insignificant amount, particularly when you're looking at having to pay a lot of guys and when your owner is Robert Sava. Um Am I am I going to Galaxy Brain there, Nick, or do I think good old good old Rob Sarver's given away another first round pick to save himself a bit of cash? I mean, saving cash is pretty is pretty handy. Um, as I said, sort of mentioning what campaigns you know uh, potentially going to ask for, given off the season he had, you know, having some extra dollars in in, in the tank is going to be pretty handy. Um, and then obviously whatever happens with Chris Paul, um, still to happen there. It's yeah, I don't think it's too bad. I mean, yeah, as you said, we would we'd love having a backup big again in Phoenix. It's something we talked about a lot, um, you know, at the deadline, and then particularly as the finals finished, and how that was a, a glaring hole um, for this Suns roster getting another um, big man in there to help support DeAndre Ayton. But you know, hopefully they can pick someone up off uh, on the cheap uh, when it comes to picking up someone like that um, when free agency gets going. So yeah, I mean, Sharp would have been, I think, an okay fit in Phoenix, but yeah, yeah. Getting Shamit in there, I'm not, yeah, as you said, I'm not sure. Maybe it's a character thing. It's a defensive thing. It's always tricky when a team who's a championship contender want to move on from someone, uh, and particularly for a fairly young player. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm interested to see how it goes. I still think that, you know, the idea of Landry Shamit, the player, is a good fit in Phoenix. So we just need to see whether that that idea, uh, you know, translates to tangible um, results on the floor. Absolutely. Um, and all in all, I would say it's a fairly kind of neutral move for the Suns. I, I wouldn't describe that as anything too radical. Um, a, a team that I really liked their draft day uh, around the fringes was the Los Angeles Clippers uh, traded up to – traded into the 21st pick um, – to pick up Keon Johnson, who was sliding, and some uh, some of those regular draft experts, Jonathan Gavoni, Chad Ford, a few of those guys were kind of starting to call it out as we were getting into the late teens that no one had picked him up. Um, hyper athlete. And then I really like the fact that they picked up BJ Boston there in the second round from New Orleans, um, who were selling picks like it's no tomorrow. Um, what did, uh, sorry, Memphis, I take that back. Um, what did you make of a? What did you make of those two moves from the Clippers? Yeah, um, you know Johnson's someone who's you know still developing um, in terms of his shooting ability, but yeah, as you said, so he's a hyper athlete. Um, someone who's going to make some really a lot, a lot of highlight players, I reckon. Um, whether how much he plays, I'm not sure um, in a Clippers uniform, but he's someone you know you can put a bit of time into, and you, it's a type of player that championship contending teams can afford uh, to pick. Um, so I, I really really like the move. Um, you know he's had a crazy uh, record with his um, like max vertical leap. I think it was the, the all time record that he, when he broke, he's hitting like 48 inches on his jump, which is bonkers. Um, so he's going to do some things uh, that are going to make some uh, uh, top five countdowns um, on YouTube for sure. And he's going to, you know, end up on social media and get viral with, it. I think a lot of dunks, it's going to happen. But yeah, I think that um, we'll see how do he develops and, you know, it's a fairly sort of, yeah, as I said, they're a t- the Clippers are a team that can sort of make this, um, make this move. Um, but BJ Boston was someone that you you, you mentioned, uh, Lou. Why do you like that fit so much um, for the Clippers? Well, I mean, anytime you can pick up a guy that was, uh, you know, a top five, top ten pick coming into the year for a late second round pick, I like. Um, 
the Clippers are going to face this issue that a lot of teams that have been attempting to or contending um, for a couple of years in a row face, which is just the talent drain. Um, obviously, you guys saw that a bit in Golden State um, until you had a chance to kind of hit the reset button recently. But I think that it's a high upside swing. And I think next year, look, the, the Clippers, I don't think are expecting to, unless Kawhi can come back for the playoffs, I don't think next year they're, uh, assuming he resigns, of course, expecting to be a, a top two or three seed throughout the course of the regular season. So perfect chance to see what you've got in guys like Keon Johnson, Brandon Boston, um, find some playing time. Um, Brandon Boston, obviously, it was a messy year for a lot of a lot of blokes at Kentucky and it just wasn't working out for him. Um, Keon Johnson's a jump shot away from being a, a really high-level player. So I like the fact that they kind of took two swings here, two guys that are at least going to have the athleticism to hang in the league. Um, and even if one of them pays off, they're actually going to have some time to develop them next year if if Tyler is willing to give them the minutes. Um, so I look at this as kind of a, a free one free swing and run relatively cheap swing. Um, but I guess the thing is with these second round picks is it's well and easy. It's it's, it's easy to kind of get excited uh, about you know a guy like Brandon Boston, but more often than not, these guys usually end up being taken in the second round for a reason. Um, but he's someone that I, I quite like them taking a swing on. So uh, there's been a bunch of other, you know, uh, two-way and uh, an Exhibit 10 contracts floating around. Um, the Lakers did give one of their two-way spots to Joel Ae out of uh, Gonzaga. Uh, Mac McClung, who's a bit of an online sensation, also got an Exhibit 10 with the Lakers. Um, these things will start to shape out. Throughout the course of the uh, throughout the course of the year, um, but before we move on um, to our next segment, Nick, I guess just ad hoc here, um, how would you rank the five Pacific teams draft days? Um, and we'll include the Russell Westbrook trade in this from from top to bottom. So, who do you reckon kind of best to worst here from the Pacific teams? Oh, okay. Um, no bias. I'm probably going to put the Warriors first. Mm-hmm. Uh, given they had, you know, sort of the, one of the better draft hands um, available. And I think that both players certainly, um, they're not, they're, both players aren't misses. They haven't uh, had a really bad pick there. Um, second, I think, yeah, as you said, the Clippers bringing in those um, two guys in Johnson and Boston um, is a win for them. And yeah, it, with Kawhi um, out for a lot of next year, it gives them a chance to essentially audition some players um, for this for this roster and those two guys have, you know, got a, a tremendous amount of upside. Um, and then I'd probably be going the Kings. Um, the Davion Mitchell pick, I'm still not really uh, big on. And then uh, they picked up, who else did they pick up? Would you be able to tell me a bit quicker? <laughs> uh, yeah. Nemias Quita, a center yep. second round. There you go. So I, not, not someone I know too much about. So um, yeah, it, it, it's hard to rate the Kings given on what's happened in the draft before their pick has impacted what they're, what they can do. Mitchell's still got a lot of upside as a player and regardless of it, sometimes you've got to take the best player available. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I, I, I can't give that like a really high grade for the Kings. Um, unfortunately, then um, I'd, I'd be sort of looking at what the Suns have done. Um, I still think getting uh, Landry Shaman in there is not too bad. And I still think it's a better move than the Lakers uh, getting Russell Westbrook. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I guess I'd probably ask you the question, uh, just touching back to the Kings. Do you think the Kings are in a better spot having not traded Heald for that Lakers package? Do you think there's a better offer out there for them for for Buddy Heald? So have they almost 
had a good day by not making that trade? Mm. I almost really talked myself into the whole Kyle Kuzma fit in Sacramento, to be honest. Um, you know, we were talking about trades. Um, there seemed to be like a bit of certainly was a better spot for him to get playing time uh, in um, in a Sacramento uniform than a Washington uniform. Given bit how crowded that sort of uh, wing forward department is for the Wizards. Um, it's, you know, and we were talking about how the Kings would have wanted to draft a forward. You know, I really kind of like the idea of a of a starting lineup that had, you know, Fox, Halliburton, Kuzma, Barnes, and whoever's playing at the five. I, I, I was, you know, pretty into that. So I think in that regard, it's a bit of a miss for the Sacramento that they weren't able to get that deal done. Whether that was a breakdown from the Lakers end or the Kings, we're not exactly sure. Um, or, you know, it's simply because the Lakers wanted to get Westbrook instead. So... That's a tricky one. In terms of what else is going to be out there, I'm not 100% sure now. Obviously, we talked about healed to Philly um, a lot. Um, we're going to see what that package uh, potentially would look like if that happens. Um, but yeah, now that you know, you've know you tried to trade him and now it's not happening, you kind of need to trade him now. Um, you know, Heald's not going to be hanging around now. He, he was already, I feel like, getting a bit disgruntled with his role um, in Sacramento. I mean, obviously, at various stages over the last couple of years. That's only going to add to that. So um, they need to do that deal uh, soon. Um, what that deal looks like, I'm not 100% sure. And I think uh, I think that's probably a good point to, uh, to wrap up this segment. We'll be back shortly uh, with a slightly different take on our usual Avita Zubac segment. Pacific Post-Ups is closely affiliated with OTG Basketball. They've got a fantastic podcast and YouTube network where you can keep up to date with all things NBA. Make sure you follow them on Twitter and YouTube at OTG Basketball. Back to the show. So, we've tweaked the Avita Zubac unsung hero of the of the week. We obviously are in the off season here, and there's very little basketball being played. Um, well, at least NBA basketball being played. So as much as we think big uh, big Zoobs would look fantastic in a suit in the front office, those he's got plenty of playing days ahead of him. So the James Jones unsung executive of the day. Nick, I'll let you go first, mate. Who did you have? Uh, it, was, it was clearly Rob Palinka. No, I'm only joking. Um, I'm not just exactly sure how unsung we're gonna is going to be, considering we are limiting ourselves to the Pacific Division executives. I don't. I'm not sure how much love he's going to get. You know, someone who hasn't got a lot of love of late. But Bob Myers is my James Jones unsung executive of the day because it's a really tricky position for the Warriors. Um, obviously, trying to balance the looking at now, um, but also potentially trying to look towards the future, which a lot of Golden State fans don't want to do. They want to maximize what's going on with Steph right now. But you kind of can do that, but by also getting players who are still going to contribute down the line in a potentially in a high role. So I, I still, I've almost talked myself a little bit more into the Kaminga pick through through the show um, tonight. So I think getting him and having him available there, I mean, it, they, if if they didn't pick Kaminga and he turned out to be an absolute stud of a player, they'd get laughed at um, for not making that pick. So I th- still think it's a win. And yeah, having Moses Moody fall there is not something of Golden State's control, but he was there and they needed to pick him. You know I mean, you sort of look at who came uh, afterwards um, after Moody, you know, 
obviously Chris Duarte went before um, someone who was, you know, quite linked to the Warriors and honestly surprised that Indiana didn't pick him. Still think Duarte is going to be a really good player, but I think Moody's got slightly better upside uh, potentially. But yeah, if they'd gone, maybe Corey Kispert, Alfred Sengun, Trey Murphy, Kai Jones, these sort of guys. Um, I think Moody was the right pick that needed to be made and it's great. So trade didn't happen. They didn't go crazy and try to trade a package for someone who they didn't believe to be a star. They, you know, scaled the market trying to get a deal done for that star player. It wasn't there. It's not there, at least on draft night. Um, and I think that, yeah, getting Kaminga in at least gives you an asset to use in a trade package down the line. So for, for an executive who gets, you know, slammed a lot on Twitter by a very vicious um, supporter base, um, which sometimes I'm almost re- uh, I regret being a part of. Um, Bob Myers, uh, tipping the cap to you, sir. Yeah, uh, fantastic day from from Bob Myers. And and the other thing I think is important to mention is whilst there was talks about 7 and 14 for Bradley Beal, there was also some talks about using 7 or 14 or both for some lesser veteran players. Yeah. And I think he did the right thing by not giving into temptation and just kind of picking up a an average rotation guy purely just for the sake of it. Um, there will be other ways they can do that. They have Wiggins contract. They have Wiseman. Um, they have some some other ways to get that done if they want. Um, and I think he did the right thing by by holding off on pulling the trigger on a bad trade. So um, my James Jones unsung executive of the day is uh, is Mr. Lawrence Frank in uh, in Los Angeles. Um, I think. Yeah, like I said before, I think the Clippers kind of got two bites at the cherry here for very little. Um, they have such few assets to play with now moving forward that almost the best chance they've got of getting another asset that they could use to acquire something moving forward is picking up a young guy in the next draft or two that could develop quickly enough, like the Lakers have kind of gotten in Taylor Horton Tucker, um, that actually buys you a, a trade asset you wouldn't have had otherwise. Um so, uh, so Keon Johnson, Brandon Boston, both good picks for LA. They didn't make any other panic moves. Um, so, uh, shout out to you, Lawrence Frank. Uh, it hasn't been the easiest time to be a Clippers exec over the last kind of eighteen months, but I think he had a had a good day today. Yeah, good shout. Um, as you said, you know, they don't have a lot of wiggle room, the Clippers, um, given what they've done to to get Paul George over um, into a, a Clippers uniform, and obviously Kawhi being out for next year. Uh, for next season, sorry, it's you know put, puts them in an interesting position. Um, there's what the, what they can do, and as you said, they've got two guys in there who they can really have a good look at to see um could be you know a, a really strong part of uh, this championship nucleus with with, with PG and Kawhi and seeing what happens there. So uh, yeah, I, I reckon Lauren, Lawrence Frank, uh, given you know the the limited uh, resources that he's got at his hands, um, did really well today. So uh, so that's about it for today. Uh, there's going to be a lot more to unpack over the next week. Free agency, uh, a ton more Rob Palenka slander here on the Pacific post-ups. Um, and also, I think there's going to be a bit a bit more dust settling, um, like we kind of talked about with the Kings and, and uh, even the Warriors. I think the, the moves might not be finalised here for some of these teams. Um, so it's going to be a busy off-season as always. Uh, Nick, we'll, we'll leave it there. It's been a pleasure. Um, And thank you again to our listeners for tuning in. Go Boomers.